The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. I'll just point out a couple of things uh, once again that I usually point out. Um, I noticed today that the parking lot is full to overflowing. And anybody have a little trouble parking when you came in, especially if you came in a little bit late? This is um, uh, one of the things that happens during the uh, colder months of the year, especially once the snow falls and we can't see the lines in the lot. It makes it a little bit harder to fit as many cars in there. And so what we ask those of you to do who are regulars and who are able-bodied enough and don't have children and all all that stuff is to park on the street if you can, if you get here early. And that makes it really convenient for people who come up late, especially people who are visitors, maybe first-time visitors, to find a spot in the lot and come right in here. That's a really welcoming thing that you can do. At the same time, I need to ask you to be good neighbors and um, leave at least a car length between your car and any driveways that you see. Cause, um, it makes it hard for people to back out onto what's, even on Sundays, is kind of a busy street. So uh, if you're parking on the street, please leave a car, car width um, in front of driveways. That would be helpful. Thank you for doing that. I came in early and I noticed that a number of you had parked at the back of the lot and already on the street. I really appreciate your um, doing that. I know it, you do it because you care about um, other people, and I appreciate that. And the other way that you can show that is what some of these folks are doing, is that sitting up in these cheap seats here, uh, and that makes it much more comfortable as our, our sanctuary fills up to come in late. Um, so not that I want to condone the coming in, uh, the, uh, the coming in late. Um, the 14 of you who are here when we started today... Uh, We're treated to a really stunningly beautiful prelude um, by the band, and you really you did miss out on that. And we're not going to put it on the podcast. We recorded it, but out of spite, we're not putting it on the podcast. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So uh, you know, it's it's cold and winter and all that stuff. You know, we'll see you at at ten ish. (laughs) Okay, recording starts now. We are uh, we're in the fourth and final week of Advent. When we started Advent, I couldn't believe that we were already in Advent. And now we're finishing Advent, and I can't believe that we're coming out of it. It's just been a blur. And um, Advent, of course, is the season of the year where we prepare for the coming of Jesus. And the, the most obvious traditional way of uh, celebrating Advent is to anticipate the uh, Christmas coming of Jesus, that first Advent when Jesus came to earth. Um, we also talked about in, in the past weeks how uh, the other traditional understanding of the season of Advent is to anticipate the second Advent, the return of Jesus, the second coming. And this year's Advent re- readings tended to focus on that second Advent a little bit more. We've, we've talked about that, and if you've missed any of those messages, you can always go and listen to them on the podcast. Um, we don't hold those back out of spite. Um, this week, the tone of the readings shifts away from that a little bit. And some of us are going, thank, thank you, finally, uh, we can get into this hopeful peace stuff and we can get ready to celebrate Christmas, which is only eight days away, seven days away now, um, Christmas being on a Sunday this year. And so what I'd like to do today, rather than reading through several passages as we've done in the past, I want to focus on just one 
the gospel passage, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But first, I have a, 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 a poll question. Um, not exactly a poll because we're not going to vote, but we'll call it a poll question anyway. And, and please don't overthink your answer to this. Just uh, shout out the first name that comes to mind if I ask you, who are the most important characters, the most important people in the Bible? Jesus. Okay, so <laughs> we, <laughs> well, <laughs> we've got that one out of the way. Um, not that we want to get Jesus out of the way. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but we all know that the answer to every question is Jesus. Um, <laughs> So maybe the second most or third and fourth and fifth most important. Paul. Okay, I hear Paul. Who else? Abraham, Moses, Elijah. I hear a Mary there. David. John. Nahum. Someone's someone's trying to show off biblical nerdery right there. Nahum. Went to seminary. I don't even know who Nahum is. Okay, so um, I noticed that it took us a while to get to Mary. Thank you, Del, for saying Mary. Um, and I wonder, and I, I don't know if we can necessarily pull the room on this part of the question, but if we were to say who's the second most important, we had, we've got all these names listed here, and who, who's the second most important after Jesus? In other words, the, the, uh, the most important figure in the Bible who wasn't God. Um, who would we come up with? And I wonder where we might place Mary on that list, especially as a group of, uh, of Protestants. We're going to look at Mary today, and what I'd like to suggest is that Mary is actually one of the most important and admirable characters in the Bible. And uh, specifically, we're going to look at what's called the Annunciation, which is when the angel of the Lord comes to Mary and tells her that what's about to happen uh, she's about to uh, become pregnant, and um, she's going to give birth to God's forever king, the, the promised Messiah. And so I've chosen some sacred art that depicts this event, the Annunciation. And uh, I've asked Brian to scroll through a little bit for a few minutes while I'm talking about this. So you can, you can watch, if you're a visual person, you can look at these images. Um, but I want to acknowledge, before we dive into this, that the controversy surrounding Mary within the church. And depending on where you come from, what your church history is and all that stuff, this may or may not be a big controversy for you. Um, but suffice it to say, there are some honest areas of disagreement between Protestants and uh, people of, let's just broadly say, Orthodox Christianity, which would include both Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholicism. Um, about who Mary is and how she should be regarded and so forth. So there are honest areas of disagreement there. Um, at, and also what there is, I think, is an extension of those honest disagreements into, areas, in, into, uh, into bias and some prejudice. And so I think what sometimes happens to us Protestants is that we, in an effort to kind of defend what we think of as pure biblical faith, we, we, we overreach a little bit. And I was raised in a tradition that's, well, let me just call it very Protestant. It was, um, <laughs> it was very not Catholic. And I know that some of you came from similar traditions. And I was talking with a friend this week who came from a similar tradition, and we both agreed that, that um, we, we have almost this subconscious anti-Mary bias 
Very subtle and slight, but it's there for us. And um, I, th- I think that I'd like to try to get past that and around it. And one of the ways that we can get past and around bias and prejudice is just saying, it's there, we have it, what, you know, let's try to get around it. Just naming it helps a lot, as with so many other things. Um, and so I thought it might be helpful to just say that at the outset, that we know that we come from different backgrounds. There are people in the room who came from very non-Catholic <laughs> traditions, like I did. And there are people who, uh, you know, six months ago were, were worshiping regularly in a Roman Catholic church. And there are people who um, visit us from time to time who are Eastern Orthodox and so forth. So there's, there's a range of traditions in the room every week. And I, I want us to be clear about that. But hopefully we can transcend those differences and uh, look at today's story with open minds and open hearts and um, as it concerns Mary. Because... Ultimately, what Mary does is point us to Jesus, and that, I think we can all agree, is the most important thing. And so with, with that um, maybe overlong disclaimer, uh, let me pause for a moment of prayer, and then we're going to read this passage about Mary. God, we give you thanks for all the saints of the church, all those... Um, characters and people in the Bible who have lived out your salvation story um, dating back to the beginnings of Christianity and even further into the roots of Christianity and Judaism. And we're thankful for those examples and we celebrate them. And we pray that today as we look at one uh, example in Mary who sometimes creates uh, in us a little tension and controversy that you would help us to set aside uh, any biases we might have in one direction or the other. Help us to look at this honestly and to open our hearts and minds to your Holy Spirit, what you might have in store for us this morning, uh, and what might point us to your son Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray, amen. Let me ask you to stand together for the reading of the gospel. From Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Uh, We will come back to this later and look at it a little more closely. If you'd like to follow along at that time in your Bibles, you can. For now, you might want to just listen. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. The word of the Lord. 
Now you can be seated. So as we look at this story, I want to suggest to you two considerations, two characteristics of Mary from this gospel story that I'd like to focus on. And they both tie back, both of these considerations tie back into the ancient history of her people, who were the Hebrew people, um, the Jews. And one has to do with David, and the other has to do with Abraham. So the first consideration that I want to offer to you is, is mainly a historical one. And it, it, its history may not be of immediate concern to us as Gentiles, but it was of utmost concern to Mary and to those first hearers of the gospel of Jesus. And so I want to make sure that we get it on the table. And this consideration is as follows, that, that Mary was the source of Jesus' royal lineage. Okay, this is a kind of a, a big historical uh, Bible nerd thing. Whoever said Nahum is probably like pretty happy with this right now. Um, the Old Testament prophecies about the coming of the Messiah were clear. The Messiah, God's anointed king, and sometimes I use the term forever king, um, would come from the line of King David, who was the most beloved and highly regarded king of Israel's history. The prophecies were clear, and all of the Israelite people, all the Jewish people, and their teachers at the time of Christ knew this and taught this. And so for anybody to be taken seriously as a potential fulfillment of those prophecies as the one true Messiah, that person would have to come from the line of David. Now, you may have noticed, as the passage said, that, that um, it, it indicates in, in this spot that uh, she was a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And so we know that Joseph, um, Jesus' earthly, adoptive, but non-biological father, was of the house of David. But that's not enough. Uh, and the reason it's not enough is this, that in traditional Judaism... You are a Jew if your mother was a Jew. This is called matrilineal descent. Uh, in other words, the, the lineage comes through the mother. Now, in modern and Reformed Jewish traditions, it's, it's not quite so important. But certainly at this time, the lineage would have come through the child's mother. And we do see in the genealogies of the New Testament, remember those boring so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so passages that we always skip over when we read the Bible. Um, and I say we, I don't say you. <laughs> um, those passages indicate not only that Joseph was of the house of David, but that Mary was too. Um, distantly enough that, you know, it's not creepy or whatever. But um, <laughs> So this is a crucial fact. The fact that Mary was the source of Jesus's uh, lineage, and that she was of the line of David was crucially important. Again, for those of us who are Gentiles 2,000 years later, we maybe don't care uh, that much. But in order for Jesus to be fulfilling those prophecies and to be taken seriously and believed to be the Messiah, which actually is, I think, ought to be of concern to us, 
he would have had to have been born to a mother who was from the line of David, and he was. So that is the first consideration. It's kind of a historical one. The second consideration about Mary is, is also historical, but it is, in addition, um, a spiritual one. And that is this. Mary had a faith that was so big, it was on par with the faith of Abraham. Now, the reason that I say this is historical is because Abraham has a rather important part in the history of the Jewish people. And some, who, who was it that shouted out Abraham when we were talking about most important Bible characters? Okay, you guys know your Bible a little bit. Um, Abraham was the father of the Jewish people uh, before all this specialized uh, lineage began, we had Abraham, who was called by God and given a promise that if he would leave the land of his ancestors and go to the place where God showed him, that he would be made the father of a great nation, um, even though he and his wife, Sarah, were way too old to have children and had none the promise was that he would become the father of a great nation. And God told him, look at the stars and, and see how you can't count them. That's what your descendants will be like. You'll have so many that they can't be counted. And Abraham believed God and responded in faith. And they made a, a covenant together, a sacred agreement, God and Abraham did. And when we look back on that covenant, we think of that as, as really the start of, of almost everything. I mean, you have creation, you have other stories in the New Testament that precede this story. But this is where the history begins, and this is where God's uh, specialized work in the lives of people begins um, uh, in, a, in a new and special way. Um, and in fact, that covenant that they made together is the basis of everything that follows in the Old Testament. And so when we, when we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, we sometimes call those two sections of the Bible, the Old, the old Covenant and the New Covenant. Um, and that's an important distinction that I think will help us understand what I'm talking about with Mary here. Um, but the, the, the writers of the New Testament look back on this story of Abraham's calling and they applaud Abraham for his remarkable faith. This is throughout the New Testament, uh, all over. You find it in time after time after time, people talking about Abraham's faith. And it's, so it's clear that the early Christians believed that Abraham's faith was the key to his receiving the promises of God. And there's a, uh, a very famous passage in the New Testament in the letter to the Hebrews that lists what some people call like the hall of fame of faith. Um, if you're a Bible person, you might know what I'm talking about. Other people have no idea, and that's okay. Um, but in Hebrews chapter 11, there's a, there's a long treatise, if you will, about faith, and it, it goes back and lists all kinds of Old Testament individuals and observes that they had faith, and it, the argument it's making is that it's the, the faith is the key to um, righteousness to being right with God. The key is not, in other words, what we can do on our own, but in believing what God will do in and through us and for us. And this whole um, long piece 
uh, where it describes all these Old Testament characters, begins with Abraham. And so I want to read to you a little bit of this. It's uh, Hebrews 11, 8 through 12. And if you'd like to follow along, the page number is 977. Uh, the Red Bible is under your chair. Uh, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a long time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith... He received power of procreation, even though he was too old, and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, and here's an important, this is what I want to drive toward. Therefore, from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven and as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So, Abraham's righteousness and the fulfillment of God's promise came as a result of his what? His faith. I mean, it said it like 94 times. You can't miss it if you read that passage, that faith is the key to this story. Uh, Looking back from a New Testament perspective, this is the key to the story. Um, Paul writes in the the letter to the church in in Galatia, it's much more simply and more directly. um, Galatians 3, 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, that being a quote from the Old Testament, so you see those who believe are the descendants of Abraham. So what I want to say is this, and this is the historical spiritual consideration that that I wanted to get toward. Just as Abraham's faith was the catalyst for the old covenant, I would like to propose to you that Mary's faith was the catalyst for the new covenant. So Abraham was the father of that old covenant, and that that language is used throughout the Bible and throughout church history. And uh, I would like to say that I think it's it's accurate and safe to say that Mary is the mother of the new covenant, if you will. Some of that language makes our Protestant ears prick up um, a little bit. But I, 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 I see this connection so clearly right now between Abraham's faith starting um, that old covenant with God uh, and Mary's faith being the catalyst and the starting point for this new covenant with God. And her statement of faith in Luke 1 is profoundly moving. Do you remember what she said at the end of that long passage? She said, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. They're powerful words. And then later on, just a few verses later, um, Elizabeth, her relative, confirms this faith reality, and she says um, of Mary, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And that is so key. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. I agree with the New Testament authors um, and with uh, Curtis Mayfield, actually, that faith is the key. (laughs) You know, every time we sing that song, people get ready. You know, I'm like, I wonder. I wonder if somebody's here for the first time and they're going, why are they singing this song? 
Curtis Mayfield, this isn't a hymn. It's not a praise chorus. It's a, like, I hear it on the soul station. <laughs> um, but I don't know, I don't know what, what better statement of faith you, of, of, of our Christian belief you can make than, than faith is the key. Um, he's not necessarily very specific about that, but that's why we have other songs that we sing. <laughs> um, but faith is the key. It's the center. It's, it's everything that we should strive for. But Mary's faith, I notice as I look at this passage, did not come to her immediately or instantly or easily. Even after an angel of the Lord appeared before her. Do you remember the pictures that we saw? (laughs) It's easy for us to say, well, that was me. I'd be like, sure, there's an angel here, whatever you say. But it took her a while to get to that point. And so I'd like to take a little closer look at the progression of Mary's faith in this gospel story. And here's where, if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, you might want to have the verses in front of you, because I'm going to go through it, um, you know, uh, pointing out different spots. And uh, so the page number was, I think, 831, was it? Yeah, 831. And if you brought your own Bible, it's probably not on 831, but uh, you have to find it yourself. <laughs> Let's look at the progression that, that happens as Mary comes to faith, comes to believe what is happening to her is real. All right, well, starting, starting in the second half of verse 28. Uh, the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And Mary was What? much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. So she was perplexed. Um, in fact, she was much perplexed. Uh, anybody ever felt much perplexed? <laughs> That's one of those phrases. I'd like to, I, do, I wish I could just incorporate that into everyday speech. I am much perplexed right now. <laughs> My son, why are you painting on the walls? I am much perplexed. Um, but I think that that is a normal reaction when you witness or experience something that seems to be divinely ordained, divinely orchestrated, when you see that God is doing something in your life or starting to, or you feel like he wants to. And I do believe that God will do something in your life if you stick around long enough. Um, even, and maybe especially before you have a perfectly formed faith. This is, I love stories like this because they show us that somebody who is much perplexed, and we'll get to the other things that she is in a minute, but much perplexed is just the beginning. And yet, this is, this, this is still happening. This is, this is really happening to her, uh, even though her faith is not yet perfected. Looking at verses 30 through 34. This is what the angel said. Listen to what the angel says. And then her response. It's kind of funny. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. All this talk about that historical stuff. 
basically saying, you are going to be the focal point of the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies. And you're going to have a son, and you're going to name him Jesus, and he's going to be that king, and he's going to sit on the throne, and his kingdom will never end. And Mary's response in verse 34 is, how can this be since I am a virgin? Yes, a legitimate question. (laughs) However... All of that historical, theological stuff that the angel's talking about, and Mary's like, has a biology question. (laughs) Um, See, her doubt is self-centered. I don't mean that it's selfish. A lot of times we take self-centered and selfish and we say that they mean the same thing. They don't mean the same thing. Mary's doubt was self-centered, and by that I mean that it it was focused on her own concerns. She, she wasn't thinking about and doubting that God could, you know, fulfill this promise somewhere, someday. She wasn't doubting that there would be a Messiah. She wasn't even doubting that maybe, you know, someday she might be the mother of the Messiah, but she was doubting herself, her own body's ability to do what God said was going to be done. So she was focused on her ability or her her inability, really. How can this be since I am a virgin? And it's such a contrast to what the angel was actually telling her and talking to her about, which in itself was nothing short of incredible, right? I mean, that that these prophecies were going to be fulfilled and now is the time and you are the one. Um, And again, I think that's a normal early reaction to God's movement in your life. You sense something happening, but you're not quite ready to let go yet of your own failings and shortcomings, and so you have this self-centered response to a work that God wants to do, rather than a God-centered response to what God wants to do. And you start saying to yourself or to God, how can this be since I am fill in the blank? For Mary, it was, how can, I, how can this be since I'm a virgin? But for you, whatever God might be indicating that he wants to do in your life, there's going to be something else in that blank. Um, how can this be uh, I'm divorced? How can this be I'm too young? How can this be I'm too old? How can this be I am poor? Uh, How can this be, you know, people don't like me? How can this be I'm not smart enough? How can this be on and on and on? I mean, each one of us probably has a long list of how can this be's that we've come up with over the years. The next step in this progression toward faith comes in verse 35. The angel does not say to her, well, if you, if you can't believe this, then forget it. I'll just, you know, I'll find another person. The angel doesn't even say what he said to Zechariah 
just a few verses before when Zechariah had a similar response to a similar declaration, which is, you, you guess what? If you can't believe, you're, just, you're not going to talk until the baby's born. Um, you want to read that story, you can just read the beginning part of chapter 1. Um, for whatever reason, the angel tells her this. Verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy, and he will be called Son of God. In other words, how can this be? I'm a virgin. Well, it's going to be a miracle. Verse 36, very interesting to me. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. So the angel responds and gives her evidence that God can do miracles and a promise that God will. He doesn't say to her, no, I'll find somebody else. He says... It's going to be a miracle. There has already been a miracle. It has happened to your relative, who is also pregnant, even though biologically it's impossible for her to be so. And then remember this, Mary, nothing, nothing is too big for God to do. There's nothing that will be impossible with God. And this really is the, the axis or the hinge, if you will, of faith. Because if you already believe in God, whether you have everything else figured out just yet or not, if you already believe in God, that's kind of the big first step. <laughs> if you can accept God's existence, why can't you accept God's uh, willingness and ability and tendency to do the miraculous? The interesting thing here, um, one of them anyway, is that the miracle doesn't happen until Mary um, confesses this faith. At least that's the way this, you know, the, the narrative of the story goes. Um, I certainly don't want to, to, to be confused for a, a kind of a faith healer type who says that, you know, nothing good will happen to you unless you believe it will happen to you, and if you don't have... Um, enough faith, then God won't bless you, and God will only bless you after you have enough faith. Um, you know, uh, Greg Boyd talks about this uh, this faithometer um, theology that says, you know, I, I, you have to be the, the, do the cowardly lion thing and say, I do believe, I do, I do, I do believe, uh, and it's only until you get your faith all the way up that God does something. I don't, um, I, I reject that, you know, as, as does he. Uh, that being said, you are not necessarily going to get all the evidence before you have to believe. Um, there, there will come a point when you have to let go in faith, and that's, that's why it's called faith. And then finally, Mary comes to faith. In the last verse of this passage, verse 38, and then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord, let it be with me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. And this is the thing, uh, more than anything else, that I want you to remember from the example of Mary today. Uh, that faith should lead you to a response. And that response 
should be uh, surrender to whatever God is calling you to and whatever God wants to do in your life. Um, because if you, if you come to the place of faith and then don't also say, let it be with me according to your word, there is no, it's like having a, a car with no gas in the engine. It doesn't do the things, it doesn't move. <laughs> it's a car, sure, you have a car, that's great. You have faith. Congratulations. What's going to happen as a result? And uh, I like that car analogy. Some of you have heard me made it, make it before. Um, if you're a regular here, you've probably heard me make it more than once. But the, a car doesn't turn and, and go, get going anywhere until it starts to go forward. You can't turn the wheel um, on the car until you get it moving a little bit. This analogy makes less sense in the age of power steering than it used to, but, but still, you can't uh, change direction until you're moving forward. You can turn the wheel all you want. You're not going to actually change direction. And I think that to get to that point of movement so that we can change direction, that's what Mary did. That's, that's what, she, what she said is, was her getting to that point. Let it be with me according to your word. I'm going to uh, let go of the wheel, so to speak, um, and I surrender myself to whatever it is that you'd like to do through me. So Mary, I think, is uh, somebody that we really can admire and we should admire. And I, you know, I, I, um, I said earlier this week, it's kind of a shame that all these, uh, all kinds of churches around the world are going to look at the story of Mary this week and, and hear a man preach a sermon about her. Um, because the, I think the truth is that we have, we men have lots and lots of uh, characters in the Bible to whom we can look up uh, and relate to on that way, in that way. But um, I think Mary is a wonderful example of somebody that women can look to as well. Um, and that, that may not be important to, to everybody, but I know it is important to some people to think of things that way. Uh, so regardless of uh, whether you're a man or a woman, though, uh, Mary's faith, I think, is something that we all ought to emulate. It was the starting point of the new covenant that God makes with not only with the, the, the Israelites, but with everybody. Uh, and it's through Jesus that we are all enabled to be part of God's family, regardless of whether we have a matrilineal descent from a particular person. It is our faith, just as it was Abraham's faith and just as it was Mary's faith, it's our faith that brings us into that family. Let's pray. God, we thank you once again for this uh, example from Scripture of your servant Mary. And we are grateful that uh, these, these authors and your Holy Spirit saw fit to bring us a story of somebody who did not find faith easy at first, but who went through a process and came ultimately to a point of surrender to your will and to your calling. And we now, Lord, make our prayer the same as Mary's. May it be with us 
according to your word. Regardless of all our doubts about ourselves and our tendency to say, how can this be because I am not enough? May we all come to understand and believe that none of us is enough, but that you are more than enough. And that when we place our faith in you, the miraculous can happen in, around, and through us. We pray that that would be true, that we would be agents of bringing about the kingdom of your son Jesus on earth as it is in heaven. And it's in his name that we pray, amen. As we continue to worship in song, I'd like to invite you to respond at the Lord's table, to receive Holy Communion together. And the way we do that here is to tear off a piece of the bread and you can dip it in the cup. We have wine and juice, whatever's more appropriate for you and your family. If you would like to have your children participate in communion with you, that's okay to do. They're at the other end of the building. Um, If you'd like to take it first and then go get them, that's also okay. Um, This is the response, I think, that all of us ought to have to the Word of God, regardless of whether we feel fit or good enough. And in fact, especially if we don't. Um, is to come to the body and blood of Jesus, the Messiah, and to receive that as food for our souls, as an act of remembrance of his sacrifice, and as an act of unity together. And uh, if you are not a Christian and not following Jesus, then uh, this probably isn't the right response for you, unless you are making that, that step of faith and you'd like to make that part of it. Um, but you're more than welcome to be here. You're certainly more than welcome to, uh, to pray and meditate and think and, uh, until such time as you're ready to participate in this with us. Um, we're going to continue to sing together, and I'd invite you to respond to God as he is leading you.
ever since I was young, but they, they never. 